Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. And we're going to go ahead and move right on into the third part of a series that we have uh, uh, simply called Paper Airplanes. And with this series, we've been, we've been looking at this concept uh, of letting God shape our lives. That, uh, you know, that when you, you, you start out with, uh, you know, a nice little clean piece of paper up here, then, you know, then there's so many options. And so many times we could choose to kind of go our own way and do our own thing and, and do this or that or the other. And, you know, and most of us, when we come to God, we, we, we come, to, come to God a little late in life, maybe decide to follow God out. And, and we've made some of our own decisions and we've done some of our own stuff and things haven't quite lined up the way we we wanted them to line up or we thought they would line up and then and then we look up and we're like oh my goodness how is this how is this ever going to amount to anything how is this ever going to soar how is this ever going to be what i feel like god has really wired me to be and so many times we just want to chunk it and say god god let's just let's just start with a start clean and i love the truth of Romans 8, 28, and we're about to get into that in just a second. That in Christ, in Him, none, not one piece of our life is wasted. The places of hurt, the places of pain, the places of frustration, the winds, all of it. If we'll put it in God's hands, He can use it to work things to our good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so we Let's go ahead and look into your notes. We've looked at this concept over and over again that to truly move forward in God, we must let Him shape our lives. And let's look at this very familiar passage of Scripture, Romans 8, 28. In fact, is anybody, is anybody a fan of Lecrae? Anybody follow Lecrae? His, his album just dropped this week. He was on Good Morning America on Friday. And so a guy that used to spin for us, he was, we had a DJ with our... Uh, with our youth group, they had the turntables and the chicka chicka chick stuff, and and all. It was sounded much better than that. And um, anyways, you may know a guy named Carlos Trevino. He's a San Angelo guy, and uh, he was part of our youth group team. And uh, he goes by the name of DJ Promote, and he was there in New York, there at Good Morning America, and and uh, so I, was, I felt an extra special connection as Carlos was there and. And Lecrae's album dropped this week, and it's, it's a good album. I've already listened to it. And, uh, but um, anyways, he titled his album um, after Romans 8, 28. And so uh, that all things work together. And so and, and anyway, so, so many times we can begin to think we understand this, because especially these passages of Scripture that are super familiar. So we're going to kind of interrupt our normal thought flow, and we're going to bring in a different translation, and we're going to let that kind of interrupt our, our thought flow and look at it as freshly as possible. So let's look at Romans 8, 28 in the message, and verse 29. It says, that's why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life 
of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. You want to know where the direction God has taken your life? Let's look at Jesus. Jesus is the original and intended shape of our lives. And and he sets first. He's the first of humanity restored. And as God is bringing restoration in each of us, and we come and we bring him our our mess and the stuff we would rather just throw in the trash pile, then we come in and and he he begins to work it. And then he begins to work it and begins to do something fresh and something lovely and something beautiful in our lives. And then he begins to... He begins to make something and creates a line. One of those lines that represent Christ. And then he begins, as we stay submitted to him, he he makes another line that represents Christ. And then he makes another line in our lives that represents Christ. And as we stay in this process, there's nothing that the enemy wants to do more than to interrupt us. Than to disrupt us. Than to shift it. And I want us to think about what Jesus, what Jesus said on the cross. One of the last things he said. Because if we're going to be shaped into the image of Christ. And if, if he's taken our messed up, wrinkled up stuff. And he's, he's reshaping it. And God's hands are, are ironing out those wrinkles. And he's shaping us into the form of his son. And we can begin to see maybe, maybe that's heading someplace some direction that can soar. Maybe this is, this is going somewhere. We have to remember what the image of Jesus looks like. And, and as the world was attacking him and insulting him and killing him. And it placed this crown of thorns in his head. And drove big old nails through his hands and feet. Stuck him up on a cross. Mocked him. Mocked his power. Mocked his claim as to who he was. Jesus' response. Was Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Well, so many times we can think, well, man, that was, that was Jesus. But then we look at what God is doing in our lives and recognize that Jesus isn't just some far away person that did something, something amazing for us. He's, he's, our, he's our, our Lord and our Savior. And he's the model of what the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and carrying us forward into this thing. And this place where we, God is growing us to a place where we can walk in those same lines. And when the world begins to come at us and, and, and attack us and do all those different things, that instead of that natural retribution response that God is, is working something new in our lives, on the long the lines of it coming out of our mouths, Father, forgive them. See, being shaped by the Holy Spirit means letting his heart of love win even when others hurt you. See, if we're going to let God shape our lives. Last week we talked about the place of dealing with ourselves. Of letting... Letting God reshape the image of the way we see ourselves. And, and letting ourselves be fully loved by God. And, and even operating in a place of forgiveness towards us. And today we're going to talk about that next fold. That next thing that God brings 
and works in our lives of this place of forgiveness towards others. See, as God keeps working in our lives to, to bring us to a place of shaping us into the image of His Son, then somebody comes along and offends us. And you're like, God, I was doing so good. I was doing so good. And then that person opened their mouth. And I'm done here. I'm done here. And if we hang on to that offense being via unforgiveness, then we'll stay in the shape of that unforgiveness. Now, we already know that God's taken us into the image of His Son, which is forgiveness. So guess what? Guess what we have to submit to? The work of the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? That offense, that thing that the enemy meant to take you off track. No, we're going to forgive. We're going to come back in here. See, so many times we think that forgiveness in the wrong terms. And, and before we get too much deeper into this, let's first let's Let's look at Colossians 3.13. It says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We already talked about freely giving as we, because it has been freely given to us. Well, the ultimate of that is forgiving because God has forgiven us. Now, with seven kids, um, we have the opportunity to operate in a place of forgiveness as parents. You know, um, you know, to, to stay in a place of loving your kids, you gotta, you gotta forgive them. And, and um, our littlest one, Pressy, um, uh, about uh, six weeks ago, um, she likes to just periodically come get in bed with mom and dad. So we got a nice big king size bed. She decides it's more cozy. That's her word. She likes it because it's cozy. So she comes and gets in bed. In the middle of the night, I don't realize she's there. I sleep too hard. And so um, some, this child came and got inside my bed, and I didn't even know it. And uh, so she gets inside the bed, and she's laying there. And normally she'll roll over and snuggle to her mom. And so, but at this point, she decides that she rolls over, and she snuggles to me. And so, and I'm asleep and sleeping hard, and she is snuggled up against me, which, you know, as long as she's not doing her banging her head on your thing, then it can be pretty sweet. But all of a sudden, my side of the bed got a little warmer and a little wetter. <laughs> and... Then I'm sitting there, and I wake up mad. I'm mad at this kid. And you know what she did? She rolled back over to her mama's side. I'm like, she came to my side just to pee. And went back over there and gave her mama the love. And I got peed on.
And so then I've got to deal with that in the middle of the night. And I'm sitting there and, and you just sitting there and it's so frustrating. And yes, the, the, the fact that she's three and cute and all that helps factor in to the, to, to the you know, forgiving. But I tell you what, there's a place where you have to go, you know what, for this relationship to go on. I'm going to have to forgive you for peeing on me. It is not right. It is not okay. But I'm going to have to forgive you. Because I still got like 15 years of being your dad left. Well, a whole lifetime, but like in my house, like before I kick you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't really operate that way at our house. <gasps> but folks... Honestly, man, sometimes one of the, the most difficult moments is when it feels like somebody just got close enough to you just to pee on you. <laughs> and we've all been there. Seriously, I let you into my life. I let you close to me. I was relaxed with you. And this is what you did to me. There's so many places where that where that's, that's the toughest thing. You know, the jerk on the road that, that cuts you off and acts the fool and then gives you the little high sign? And you have to sit there and operate in forgiveness. Well, that's a kind of distance from a hurt seems to be a little easier to go. But man, when, they, when they're that close, and it seems like all they did was get close enough to you just, just to mess on you. And then go about their merry way. Not stay there to help. Just go about their merry way. Then even in those moments. The only thing that's going to bring healing and wholeness. Is a place of forgiveness. See Jesus reminds us in Matthew 6.12. That in, our, in the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Of forgive us our debts. As we also for forgiven our debtors. That this forgiveness thing should not be this massive Dead Sea type reservoir where all of it flows into us and creates some place of stagnation. But forgiveness should flow freely in and out of our lives. And before we move forward, I need you to understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying that you condone, condone the thing that hurt you. Pressy did not get a hip hip hooray. For peeing on my side of the bed. She did not get a gold star. She did not say, man, that, that was actually okay, sweetheart. I'm going to have something to say on a sermon one day. <laughs> Good job. It's not saying that you condone that thing that hurts you. It's not saying that trust is automatically restored. I guarantee. I make sure she's gone to the potty. She comes to get in bed and like, you need to go to the, you need to go to the potty. You need to go handle that. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden that trust is automatically restored. And it's not saying that everything is back to normal. See, so many times we think that forgiveness is all of a sudden all this comes back into it. That we have the, the first grade playground version of forgiveness that... That you sit there and you're going to kick the kickball and you accidentally kick your friend and they're crying. You go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then they go, ah, it's okay. It wasn't okay. It's not okay. 
That's the best thing that they know how to do is what they're saying is our relationship is still okay. That's what that little first grader is saying. He didn't know how to put it in words, so he's saying it's okay. But the action wasn't okay. But somehow we begin to extrapolate that into our adulthood and say, I forgive you, is now looks back and says that, well, that was all right. I kind of see your motives in that. I kind of see why maybe you would have slipped up that way. Forgiveness isn't condoning it. It's not saying that trust is automatically restored. And it's not saying that everything's back to normal. What it's saying is I am not going to hold on to this offense. And I'm going to let the grace of God come in and shape what tried to get distorted. That's what forgiveness is. See, grace shapes us into forgivers. 2 Timothy 3, I mean 2 Timothy 4, 16 says, At my first defense, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me. This is Paul, who writes the bulk of the New Testament. Who at multiple times we see all the entourage that he, that he travels with. And he's talking to his number one, number one disciple there towards the end of his ministry career, towards the end of his life. And he has this moment that at my first defense, no one came to support me. I've given my life for others and no one has come. To help. But everyone deserted me. And I love his response. He didn't sweep it under the rug and saying it's not worth mentioning. It's in our scriptures. We're going to deal with those things. We also need to know how Paul dealt with them. And how the early church dealt with them. And his cry was this. May it not be held against them. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That he had to live at a place of just allowing forgiveness to come even when there were so many times that there were massive failures. Now I want us to look at Matthew 18. And Matthew 18 deals with all sorts of stuff. We get the, the Matthew 18 principles of what, how to deal with someone when there's an offense there. And then we get along into verse 21. And uh, Peter's wanting to know. He's wanting to know. How many times do I need to forgive? Now, we have to remember that this is hothead Peter. This is pull the sword out in the Garden of Gethsemane and lop off an ear, Peter. This is Peter ready to go to town, Peter. And so he wants to know, all right, I'm following you, Jesus, but um, how many times do I have to forgive? Because at some point, I'm going to pull my sword and there's going to be some ears flying. I just need to know what's my count before the blood flies. I'll do it. Just tell me what the count is. And it says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, rabbinical teaching at the time said that you were supposed to forgive three times. Well, Peter followed this Jesus around. He knew he was a pretty lovey-dovey kind of guy. He was kind of changing things. So he took it up a notch. And he's like, man, but Jesus, you're probably going to be like seven. You know, these other rabbis say three. You're probably going to say like seven. So, so I'm not going to leave it open-ended. I'm going to float something out there to you, Jesus. I think I, I think I can deal with seven. Lord, let it be seven. So he floats out seven. 
And then Jesus answered and he said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or other translations said seven times 70. And it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And that amount means nothing to us. We don't know what those talents, it wasn't meant that he had to show him all his ballet skills and all those talents. It was, a talent was a weight, okay, and it was a weight of gold. And this guy owed him 10,000 of this weight of gold. Now let's, to put this in perspective, King Herod, at the time that Jesus is speaking, King Herod's annual income was 900 talents of gold. So this guy owes 10,000 talents of gold when the king annual income is 900 talents of gold. This is more gold than the king Herod is going to see in multiple of his lifetimes. Okay? This is a mind-blowing amount. This is saying that this guy that owes 3.7 trillion dollars comes up. Bill Gates and all the buddies he goes golfing with couldn't cover this debt. It is Huge. It is an unpayable debt. So he owes him 10,000 talents. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all who he had be sold to repay the debt. This guy's not just losing his property. See, back in those times, man, you didn't pay your debt. You lost it all. Your kids went into slavery. Your family, you lost it all. That wasn't going to touch the 10,000 talents of gold. Unless it was my wife. That she, you know, she's worth 10,000 talents of gold. But. And uh, where was that? Stay on point, Brandon. Um, it says, and since he was not able to, <clears throat> and as he began... Through and uh, to be to repay the debt. Verse 26 says, And the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. But impossible. But this guy just wanted a shot. He's like, I just want to do it. I'll win every lottery in the whole world at the same time. And I'll give it all back to you. He's like, I'll just, there's got to be a way. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. And when that servant went out, so he's now has burned through more money than anybody can imagine. And then can't pay it back and has given and has forgiven the debt. And then this guy leaves out. It's forgiven. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I guarantee you that hundred denarii was part of the talent that he owed the other guy that he had loaned out to this, his buddy. So only a hundred denarii. Now a hundred denarii doesn't mean anything to us either. But one denarius was a day's wages. Okay. So this is a hundred days wages. Okay. So this could be somebody goes at it hard. They could pay this back in a few months. Now I love it that Jesus is not trivializing the debt that his, this guy owed to him. This is four to six months worth of earnings, okay, whether you take weekends off or not, okay? And so this is, this guy is, is it's, it's a serious debt. 
But it's payable. It's payable. But it's still, it's a serious debt. And he owed him a hundred denarii and he grabbed him and he began to choke him. See, the, the king that he owed all the money to didn't even begin to lay hands on him and choke him. This guy's taking this on to a whole crazy other level. And he begins to choke him. And he demands, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant, first, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back the exact same thing he had said to the king. Word for word. He had already been shown forgiveness. Those words, his own words echoing out of this other guy's mouth should have been a wake-up call right there. But he ignores them. He says, but he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? I've shown you the way I want this thing to operate. Forgiveness. This was Jesus telling a parable to get it through Peter's mind. That we're not looking for an amount. We're not looking for a, a time to where all of a sudden it's now okay to not forgive. It's forgive. It's forgive. Otherwise, if we don't, we'll never be reshaped. We'll never let God's handiwork come into our lives. It'll, it'll never be. We'll always stay that crumpled up, messed up thing. And every place of unforgiveness you keep hold of is a place where you can't be shaped into the image of God. It's every place we do. We are, we are pushing His image and fullness and His plan for our life out. In fact, when we forgive... All of a sudden, heaven has invaded that ugly place. When we forgive, heaven has now invaded that. Has come in and changed the natural cycle of things and shifted it forever. See, forgiveness is choosing to let God shape the relationship. Choosing to let Him do it. Instead of us saying, I can fix this, I'm going to make this right. No. Sadly, there have been some horrible, horrible things that have taken place in our culture, in our society. And our laws have consequences to that. And in the state of Texas, the ultimate consequence is the death penalty. And there have been people on the sides of the victims who've attended those executions and anxiously waited to hear that flat line sound. That that life was expired and thinking on the other side of that, that they were going to find some sort of relief and that everything was going to be okay. And person after person said all they wanted to do was bring them back so they could kill them again. Because it doesn't fix it. There's no retribution. There's no anything. If we've got that, that, that thing that's ungodly of unforgiveness in our hearts, there's nothing that can happen on the other side with the other person, the offender, that's going to make it right. The only thing that's going to fix it is letting God, the ultimate forgiver, come in and begin to shape our lives. 
See, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that he set us free. Stand firm then. And don't let yourself be yoked. Be brought into a yoke of slavery. See, as we let him shape. As we let him come in. And unforgiveness, it's a yoke of slavery. It traps us. It locks us to that offense. It locks us to that wound. It locks us to those things. And if we'll let God work, even in those places where God came, where someone else came and, and brought hurt, then, then God can shape us. And take that mess and take those offenses and take those wounds and allow us to be able to soar. Take that. <laughs> Our bottom line today is, is forgiveness is choosing to live free from this day forward. It's choosing to live free. It's embracing the freedom that we have in Christ and choosing that. See, when God does the shaping, we can do the soaring. We can live soaring. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.